Now, this morning, uh, uh, I hope that you're not going to get mad at, by the time we're done here the, today, but uh, what you're going to find as we begin is that Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in this part, uh, that none of us measure up, that none of us are good enough, and we're going to be launching from Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, because Jesus has been talking about kingdom people, talking about who they are, what they look like, what their lives look like. And last week, we keyed in on this verse in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says this this to them, to those that are listening, he says, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law, and it's not all on there, and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And it was kind of like if we were, if we were to say it in this moment, it would be a mic drop. Like he says this, that unless you're better, unless your righteousness is better than the best people you can think of, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And then you hear this sound of a mic dropping. And so you have these people say, wait, wait, wait. These Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they're the best we got. And you're saying that we got to be better than them? Who can do that? The answer is no one. And Paul later in uh, the book of Romans says this, uh, quoting Psalm 14, it's important that we see this, that there is no one righteous, not even one. And so that means that if you are in existence, that you are, what Paul is saying is that you are not righteous, that I am not righteous. And, and we begin this message today really understanding this fact that none of us is good enough. Now that's not a message that you're going to hear in the culture. You're going to hear the message that you are good enough. That who you are is good enough. And I'm not saying that I'm like this downer of like, oh, you guys are a bunch of losers. What I'm saying is that spiritually speaking, we're in trouble. That none of us is righteous. And when Jesus says that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness needs to exceed the best righteousness that you've ever seen if you think that you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Paul says that none of you are good. And it's important that we understand that. Because until we come to this fact that we are not good enough, that we are not righteous enough, we will not see the need for a Savior. Later, Paul says this, that all have sinned, uh, for everyone has sinned. Raise your hand if you're an everyone. Okay, you don't have to have me out. Some people say, well, no, no, I'm, I'm good enough. Or, the problem is, is that we focus so much, especially even in the church, we focus on this idea that you, you need to, to look a certain way. You need to act a certain way. You need to, to fall in line. You need to know when to stand up and when to sit down, what to say. If you can say the right things and look like you follow Jesus, then you're good. Paul says that all have sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, that none of us are righteous and we're all under the penalty of death from that sin. Paul says, for the wages of sin, and you've seen this, and we talked about this verse, uh, we should never stop talking about these verses. Even when we break them down and we talk about like what's a wage, it's something that you earn for what you've done, the fact is that we need to be reminded of that because what happens in our lives at times as we can become pretty full of ourselves. We can become pretty self-righteous. Even though we're, we're trusting in Jesus, we think that we, it's because of us. For the wages of sin is death. That what I deserve because of my sin, the payment for my sin is that I die. And not only physically am I dead, but I'm spiritually dead. Paul makes that very clear. 
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And last week you talked about the law, and you, last week you talked about Jesus coming and uh, not abolishing the law, but fulfilling the law. And, and I want to park here for a minute and understand what the law is. When we talk about the law, we talk about the Ten Commandments, that we, there are times and there are people, and you may have said this, and you may have believed this, but there are people that say, I, I do the best that I can. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I want you to know that the Ten Commandments do not steal, do not murder, you know, love God, don't have any other gods before. Those kind of things are not there so that you can, you can be good enough. Because this is something that you can walk away with today, that the law isn't there to fix us, it's there to expose us. When I look at the law, when you look at the law, it's not there to say if it's a rating system like, mm, I'm a pretty good guy. And that was what was happening, is that we look at these religious leaders who on the outside, they didn't murder people. They weren't stealing that we know of. They're, they're pretty solid. They're pretty good people. But what we're going to find out today is that the, the law is, is not there to fix us, it's there to expose us. But it's not about keeping these rules. It's not about outside behavior. It's really about inside transformation. That Jesus came to fulfill the law. And we don't follow the law as a prescription that if we can just jump through those hoops, you're going to be good. But it's there to expose what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, that you're not good enough. That none of us can be good enough. And it begins to, Jesus begins to shed light on the law in a way that the people in that moment, maybe you've already heard this and you're like, oh yeah, I knew that. But in that moment, they're thinking about this outward behavior. And Jesus says, it's not about this outward behavior. It's about this inward transformation that we'll talk about. And he begins to talk about the heart. And he uses this phrase, the next six things that he goes on to say, one of them is today talking about anger, and then we'll talk about lust. We're going to talk about stuff that will make you uncomfortable. So if less and less people are here as we walk through the next couple of weeks, I'll understand why. But may you not stop. Because we need to hear these things. Because kingdom people, this is how we ought to live. I think we have bought into this idea that if all we need to do is believe in Jesus, and then we can kind of live our lives the best that we can live them, and that's not the call. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, but Jesus goes on then to have this series, six series of sayings where he says, you've heard it said, or maybe you've read this, but I say this. And Jesus is not here to say, they got it wrong. Let me tell you what it's really, what's really going on. What he's saying is that you have, you have taken it at this, this level, but, but really when you begin to distill it down, it's not so much about the behavior, it's about your heart. Yeah, you're, you're not committing adultery, but are you lusting? Because that's what it's all about. It's not so much, like, it's still, you shouldn't be out committing adultery like, well, I might as well because I lusted. Like, that's not the point. The point is that your heart should be so in line with, with who God is that I'll say, I don't even want to be close to that. It's always been about your heart. One pastor said it this way, that actions don't emerge from nothing, they faithfully re reveal what's in your heart. So if you hear anger come out of your mouth, you've got a problem. <laughs> if you are, and I struggle with it. I just drove a lot on the road. 
And when you're driving in that lane where people try to merge, and it, I, if anybody ever drove truck before, like, I feel for you, because I get it. I mean, I was a, product, a pretty big deal. Like, I had a truck and a trailer. I was like, I would, like, you know, wave at the truckers because I was one of them in that moment. But I'm in the lane where people, like, merge, and you're supposed to merge, and they're supposed to yield, right? And so I'm like, I'm just going to do my thing. And what they do is they come out, and, like, I'm going 65, and, and they come out, and they're going, like, 50, and then they take off. And I'm like, and it's that kind of thing that gets you, like, you begin to, to reveal your heart of, like, i got a problem. And I know that I'm the only one that struggles with that, so I'm just being transparent today. The rest of you can go on your merry way, but actions don't emerge from nothing. They faithfully reveal your heart. And if you, that might sound familiar because Jesus said something very much like this in Matthew chapter 12. You can remember this passage because it's Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. You want a good idea of what's in your heart, listen to your mouth. You want a good idea of what kingdom you belong to? Listen to the way that you treat people. Listen to the things that you say about people. You might come to church and say, no, no, I love Jesus. I even worshiped him today. I'm such a good believer. But then you walk out of here and you treat people like garbage. So which is it? Are you a kingdom person here but not there? Now, don't get me wrong. We all struggle, but that can't be a cop-out. It can't be just like, oh, I'm just an angry guy. If that's you today, you're going to find out that God has something different to say about that. And as I say often about different things, I hope that we can be friends after this. Because my heart is that we, we grow toward Christ-likeness, that we grow in maturity. This is something you've heard me say a thousand times the salvation is not about behavior modification, it's about heart transformation. For too long in the church, we have been so focused on doing, like, just do the right things. Just, hey, you shouldn't say that. There's a, if you're on TikTok, which I'm sure all of you are on TikTok, uh, there's this guy that is satirically um, makes fun of, like, those camp counselors that are, and no offense to camp people, but you, like, love camp people. But those guys that are, like, Hey, buddy, because like maybe you said something that is not even a curse word, but he's like, hey, we, we, you know, we heard you say it. And it's like trying to get that. It's funny, and, and it's only funny to me and maybe the three of you that have seen it. But this idea that, that we, we try to get people to look like they follow Jesus, that we want them to pray a prayer and be a good person. But that's never Jesus' call because it's not about behavior modification. It's not about just looking the part. And I'll tell you, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been around church for a while, 80s and 90s, I mean, going back like 70 years, right? This has kind of been this, this focus of just like, and, and some of you can speak even more to that, of just, you kind of just, you put on a suit, you look like you, look like you go to church, you look like you love Jesus, but in your heart, like I, I think there are times, if you think about when Jesus was hardest on the people that were religious leaders who were walking in self-righteousness, which is no righteousness at all. I want for myself and I want for us to walk in Christ's righteousness. To not walk in our own self-righteousness where we feel like, yeah, we've, we've got it all together. And that we call people to this kind of righteousness that is no righteousness. We often say that we want you to be who you really are. That if you're a heathen in this church, be a heathen. And it's okay 
so long as you, you want to change, meaning we're not wanting to come in and like, don't misunderstand, but understand. I don't ever want you to come and play the role of like, hey, I love Jesus. And you really don't even know who Jesus is. Hey, look, I know when to stand up and when to sit down. I know the right things to say, yeah, but where's your heart? Like, that's what we're concerned about. That's what matters. Because until you're willing to be real on that level, things will not change in your life. That we want to call you to repentance. We want to call you, and not in the sense of like, we stand in judgment of you all, and let's call you to repentance while we stand here so righteous. That we are fellow strugglers, and together we are walking toward Christ-likeness. Willing to have those difficult conversations. Hey, I see this. Like, I've checked my heart. I've talked to the Lord about it, and I see this. You're struggling with this. How can I help? How can I not just pray for you, but how can I be an active part of, of helping you to walk toward Christ-likeness? I mean, that's what the church is for. To not come in, and you've been in this. They come in and smile. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Shake hands, smile, look all nice. I'd rather be a church where people can just be real and like, yeah, I'm struggling right now. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, I, I really, my heart is far from the Lord because I've been indulging in these other things that I just, I, they're empty wells. All right, we can work with that. And that goes from the top down. That is, we talk about leadership. Like, we... I said before I left, sitting at the table with the deacons in the room, this is the most important place in this church. And I don't mean it to negate all these other spaces, but if we don't get it right there, if we're not humble there, if we're not repentant there, none of this other matters. That as leaders in the church, we need to, to walk in that example. And not just so people can look at our lives like, wow, he's really humble. Like, yeah, I know. That would not be humble. But we really believe what we're saying. I don't stand up here and just like read out of a textbook and hope that you buy it all. That This is really my heart for you and for us. That we would be a church that would really love the Lord. That we would understand that it's all about our hearts. That this stuff that Jesus is talking about is a big deal. That we would not stand in our own self-righteousness, but we would stand in his righteousness. So it's always been about the heart. If you look through all of Scripture, you see this. But if you, Proverbs 4, we'll probably come back to this maybe the next few weeks. We need to guard our hearts. We need, to, we need to decide that what goes into our hearts and our minds, we need to decide that that matters. Because the reality is, as you put garbage in, guess what you're going to get out? And some of you have been good about playing the game. Like, I put a bunch of garbage in, no one knows that I'm doing it. Be sure your sin will find you out. And I don't say that in like, ha, 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 but I'm saying that it's so important that what happens in our hearts, because our hearts are really who we are, what happens at this level is what matters. And Jesus says, out of the overflow of that, the mouth speaks. So eventually it will come out and people will see. But know this, the Lord sees your heart. And of all the things, whether you accept me or not, or you like me or not, I really want the Lord to be pleased. And that's what matters. And so I don't refrain from these things so that you'll call me a good person, but really I want to be following the Lord with all my heart. That we take, want to, need to take sin seriously. That we want to seek God's kingdom. That we want to walk in repentance. 
of doing that 180, that we're, we are following our sinful nature and, and the Lord makes it clear that you are, you are a sinner, that you need his righteousness and his forgiveness and I repent of that, I, I turn away from that, that that's the call in our lives, that we are not to say that Jesus is just an add-on to our lives, that you know, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing and we're gonna talk about this in a minute in Galatians, but I don't keep doing what I'm doing and I add Jesus to it so he'll forgive me. <laughs> You might be surprised by the list of things that you see in a moment in Galatians. You're like, oh, wait, wait, that's me. Oh, wait, wait, that's me. Oh, wait, that's me. And the things that you see, you might be surprised, and the things that you see might show you to the kingdom to which you belong. And so with that in mind, on the heels of, of verse 20, uh, we're going to really jump into to verse 21, and we're going to take it all in. Let me pray for us before we, we read here. Father, I do pray that you would open up our hearts to your word today. That in things like this that are, can be offensive, uh, Lord, I pray that they would be offensive for your glory. I pray that you would convict and make us uncomfortable. And I pray in that uncomfortableness, it would be a call to repentance. That we don't just meet here on Sunday mornings to just to sing songs and, and hear a, a nice message so that we can go away feeling better. God, I pray that you would make us uncomfortable and that you would use this to drive us toward transformation. God, that you'd be glorified in this moment. Or speak through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, 520, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the religious leaders, you're like, that's impossible. And he begins to then give examples in these next uh, six parts of Scripture here. And you'll see this pattern. Verse 21, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if, or if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. <laughs> All these things reveal our hearts. Yeah, you might not be a murderer, but how's your heart? Are you angry with somebody? Your heart matters. Anger matters. And Jesus then goes on to give two illustrations. Look at verse 23. So, anger's a big deal. Anger's going to result in judgment. So, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Another example, when you're on your way to court with your adversary, sell your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the, an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And even if that, and if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. And so Jesus says your righteousness needs to be really righteous to be in the kingdom. And it's not what you think. It's not looking like you belong in the kingdom. It's not looking like you dress the right way, that you, you do the right things so much as it's really about your heart. The first thing we see, if you have your study guide there, I encourage you to fill these things out. Just helps in just following along. But kingdom people must deal with anger. I'll read these verses again as you write that down. Jesus says, you've heard... That our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, 
You're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus introduces a new concept here. Further insight into the law that murder is evil. But so can anger be. Just because you haven't murdered somebody doesn't mean that your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the, of the teachers of the law. What he's saying is, that's the baseline. <laughs> because all of us, well, most of us, I don't, some of you I'm not sure about, but most of us can say, we've never murdered anybody. He said, look how righteous I am. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like where we should start. We should probably not kill anybody. <laughs> But let me take it a step further. Let's look at the heart of this command. Let's, let's look at what, what the Lord really meant. And it's really about your heart and it's really about anger. And anger will bring judgment. You been angry with someone? Some of you say, what time is it? <laughs> I'll tell you. Because that's where it begins. Have you ever called someone an idiot? You might say it was justified. <laughs> you ever cursed someone? The root of murder is anger. Your heart matters. And just because you don't murder someone is not good enough. That murder is worthy of judgment. But Jesus says, but so is anger. You know, this term that Jesus talks about when you say you fool and you could be um, subject to the fires of hell, he's making reference to Gehenna, this place outside of Jerusalem that had this dump that was basically on fire all the time. Jesus is saying that if, that if you don't deal with anger, judgment like that unquenchable fire is coming. In other words, this is a big deal. This is not all butterflies and roses, like, hey, just be nice. Like, we can sometimes have justifiable anger over things that are sinful. And you say, you know, so I can't be angry? <laughs> Murder and anger are not the same things. Like sometimes we even like with lust, you know, next week we'll talk about this and Jesus says if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery and some people are like, well, there you go, there's my license. I may have lusted after, no, that's not what he's saying. Murder's not, is the same way. They're not the same things, but they're both worthy of judgment. Uh, somebody, you might say, anger is just who I am. It's not a little thing. It's a big deal. If you claim to be a kingdom person, you need to deal with anger. We need to deal with anger. We're called to deal with it. We should fear anger because Jesus says there's judgment coming for those that, that are angry. And it's not who we're called to be. If you turn to Galatians chapter 5 real quick. And I want you to look at this. Uh, We've still got a lot to talk about, so turn quick. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 19. The Apostle Paul, again, is going to give us insight into who kingdom people are and who kingdom people, who aren't kingdom people. That this is, this is going to describe for you, uh, if this is your way of life, if this is who you are, if some people look at you and say, yeah, that's, that's who you are, you begin to see really what kingdom you belong to. And Paul begins to give this picture of here are people that are outside of the kingdom. This is who you were before Jesus. This is who you were before being born again. This is who you were before faith in Christ. This should not be who you are anymore. But 
but we like to hold on to these things. And some of us, we're going to read this list, some of us will say, but those are acceptable sins. Paul says, this is how you, you used to live. This is who you used to be. This is how what a, a, a person that's outside of the kingdom, this is what their life looks like. That's not you anymore. This is who you ought to be. This is by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. This is who you should be. This is who you are. No longer do we look like this, but we should look like that. This, look at verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. When you are harboring sin in your life, when you are not born again, when you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, when you are are not a believer in Jesus, these things that he's about to talk about will come out. And these things are not to be who you are as a kingdom person. I'd encourage you to look at which ones you think are acceptable. We have allowed to be acceptable even in the church. And which ones we have called out. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, Again, we can justify some of these things, right? We, we allow some of these things in the life of the church, don't we? Shame on us. That's not how we are to live. That's not who we're supposed to be. We've been convicted about these things and we're just like, yeah, but they deserve it. Paul says, this is not who you are. This, is not, this should not describe you. Envy drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we want to raise certain sins, even even in our culture, even in this month, we want to raise certain sins. And in the scripture, the Bible will call sin, sin. And we want to raise these things and say, well, yeah, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if they practice these things. All the while, we're over here jealous and anger, and we have all these other things that Paul talks about, but these are okay, but that's not okay. Can I give you insight? It's all sin. It's, it's all not becoming a person that's in the kingdom of God. We don't get to write the rules. But we look at it and say, this is what we should not be about. But we say that it's okay. Okay. Our actions, our desires should not be these things. Do I struggle with these things? Can you struggle with these things and still be in the kingdom of God? Absolutely. But I'll give you some insight that if you are doing these things and there's no conviction, you need to check your heart. There should be this immediate, if you step over the line, like, man, wow, I'm out of line. But the problem is, is a lot of these things can kind of be just in our hearts and maybe people don't even know and we can kind of get by for a long time coming to church and smiling and doing like, hey, we're good. Take sin seriously. In this case, take anger seriously because it's not becoming of someone in the kingdom of God. And you say, but I can't get over it. Yes, you can. <laughs> There are people in this room that will tell you stories of overcoming the things that we're talking about, we'll talk about in the next couple weeks. 
but everyone that's overcome, they're going to continue and you're going to continue to struggle and you're going to, because some of you are bent a certain way that you struggle with certain things. But you've seen through the power of the Holy Spirit, God do some amazing things and changed your heart and taken away cravings and taken away things that you've never thought would be taken away, but it's only because of his power and only because of your surrender to him. I don't think there are, time, there are times in our lives where we don't want to surrender. <laughs> we kind of like, they're like puppies until they bite you. <laughs> like, oh, it's just, it's just, it's just drunkenness. It's just, it's just sexual morality. I mean, it's, no one else knows. It's just lust. It's, Paul says, you shouldn't be about these things. This is evidence of somebody that's outside of the kingdom. And then he goes on to a passage that you probably have heard. But, verse 22, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. If you want to know if you're in the kingdom of God, look at, is your life described by the first list or by the second list? But none of it in the second list can be done by you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of me. God, I I struggle with outbursts of anger. I know that's not becoming of a kingdom person. God, change my heart. And when you convict me, I will repent. But God, it's a work of transformation that happens by your spirit in my life, and I got to just surrender to that. When I use the word surrender, I mean, that's what we talk about all the time. That if you want to get this thing right, it's really about you surrendering your life to the Lord and saying, God, have your way with me. Change my heart. Because in and of myself, in my sinful self, I want those things. But your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And so in this, Jesus is, I I wrote this down, I'm sure it sounds awesome. Jesus is not rewriting the script when it comes to the law. He's writing the ship. You guys have thought so much. It's about behavior modification. It's about looking like I've got all these long phylacteries and I pray standing in the middle so everybody can see me and I do all the right things. And you're like, wow, he's so awesome. And Jesus says it's about none of those things. Let me write the ship here. It's really about your heart. It's never been about those things. Now, if I'm, if I'm in the kingdom, should my life reflect that? <laughs> should, I, should I look like I follow Jesus? Yeah, but that's an outflowing from the inside out, not the, not the outside trying to come in. And just to make it clear, what we're talking about is, and I've talked about this before, but it's about trusting Jesus as Savior. And many of you have heard that. If you've been in church, you're like, hey, pray this prayer. And people say, look, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. And I say, yes, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. I agree with you. But the essence of what we're talking about is where I surrender my life to the Lord. That I trust in His forgiveness. That I have given His righteousness by faith. That I come to the end of myself and that really is only by the Lord changing me and and drawing me to Himself. Where I come to the recognition that I am not righteous. That when I stand before the throne, I stand before judgment. But by faith in Christ, trusting Him as Savior, my sin can be forgiven. That I 
take on his righteousness is the song that we sing, and I, I know I quote it all the time, but I can stand faultless before the throne because I put my faith in Christ alone. But I'll tell you, as I've said many times, it's like a two-sided coin. There's two things to that. And you may have not heard it this way, but I want you to hear it today because I think that this is a piece that we have missed so much in the church because if you've been around church, that's what you've heard. Hey, pray this prayer. You don't want to go to hell, right? You want fire insurance, whatever. It's not about that. I trust in Jesus because it's not because I'm a bad person. It's because I'm a dead person and I need to be made alive. And only Jesus can do that. but I trust Him as Savior and then I follow Him as Lord. I obey Him as Lord. Then I look at the Scriptures and I say, this is how I ought to live. I can't live this way. I can't save myself. Jesus, please save me. I can't live like this. Jesus, please work in me to make me who you want me to be. That it's all about Him and it's all about surrender. And until we get that, until we say, you know what, I'm not going to choose this stuff anymore. I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to say no to this and say yes to this. I'm going to feed the Spirit. I'm not going to feed the flesh. Until you get to that point, you don't truly understand what it means to follow Jesus. And there are people that sit in churches, and they think, ah, I got it. I got the, the, the insurance. I'm going to heaven. It's going to be great. I'm going to go live my life. And they, they, what I see is that we, they will stand before the Lord and say, didn't we do this in your name? And didn't we do that? It's like, I don't know you. And shame on us if we allow people to just believe, hey, just believe this thing and just pray this prayer so you don't go to hell. I don't see Jesus saying that. You want to come after me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. That's the call. To not just pray a prayer and go to church and be a good person, but it's to put my faith and trust in Christ, to repent of my sin, to do those things. And that's one piece of it. Again, I'm not talking about works-based salvation or anything like Hear my heart. That the evidence of the fact that I'm trusting in Jesus for forgiveness, that I'm trusting Him as Savior, is that I follow Him, that I obey Him as Lord of my life. And if that's not true in your life, that needs to be true. Don't hear that, you, that, Jesus, like, that Jesus is saying you've got to be perfect the rest of your life. I'm just saying you know your heart. Is this the desire of your heart to say, Jesus, I just want what you want for my life. I just want to trust you. I surrender all. That's the heart of a kingdom person. When anger starts bubbling up, you say, hey, let's deal with this. We need to. Because that's not becoming of a kingdom person. That our lives should reflect that. We've got to move on. See, too much time at the beach and I come and just yell at you. But I hope you hear my heart. Because I don't want people to walk out and be like, oh, I'm not sure what he meant. I don't even know what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, what is this we're talking about? I want it to be crystal clear. We need to deal with anger as kingdom people with a heart toward reconciliation. Jesus goes on. He gives us some practical application. Look at verse 23. So we just talked about anger. We need to deal with it. It's a big deal. So... If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, if you're giving worship to the Lord and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Keep in mind how worthy God is of our worship. Keep in mind how desirous God is of your worship. And what does Jesus say? 
If you're standing in our case, in this context, we're standing in this place and, and we're about to sing out words and some of you have been so like, focused on the fact that like, I got to sing right, I got to sing the right notes or Jesus won't read. Come on. I believe that the Lord would rather have us sing so many notes off key but our hearts like, we just want to worship you and we don't even know what's coming out of our mouths. We just want, than like, I sing all the right notes. And, can you sing all the right notes and have a heart that's, that's for the Lord? Absolutely, so don't mishear me. But I'd rather have everybody in this room sing off-key but love the Lord. And what, what Jesus is saying is, if you come into a place like this and you're ready to, to offer up this praise, but you remember that somebody has something against you, leave this stuff here and go make right with them. Yes, your worship is important. Yes, I want your worship. And, and yes, that's all important. But this is more important because your heart matters. We can't say that we love God and yet we hate our brother. 1 John chapter 3, John says anyone who hates uh, another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. <laughs> if you're like some people in the past, you could like just rip that verse out or like yeah, just, just erase that. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. At the root of murder is anger and your heart matters, and anger matters, that worship is a genuine response to who God is and what he has done coming from a pure heart. How can I come? And it's not just to think of worship in this context, like I come here to worship. Like your life should be about worship. So what you do out of this place really matters. But just as an example, to come in this place, that your heart needs to be right. That true worship flows from a heart of humility. It flows from a heart of repentance. You may sing all the right words, but if your heart's far from the Lord, you're not worshiping the Lord. And if that's not where it begins, and if, that, if it doesn't stay at humility, if it doesn't stay at repentance, then really you're worshiping yourself. It matters. This is important, that you can't harbor sin and truly worship the Lord at the same time. You may have learned how to do that, you may be carrying like this big bag of like things you said to your wife or things you said to your husband. You treated people like garbage. You cut people off in traffic. You run them off the road. And you come in and like, let's worship. And what you're doing is you're just singing a bunch of words and you're not really worshiping the Lord. So Jesus says if you're in some place to worship before the Lord, and you remember that, and this is important, that someone has something against you. Not that you're mad at somebody, that you're angry with, that you realize like, oh, like they're, they're mad at me. Jesus says, drop it all and go talk to them. Drop it all and go reconcile with them. It's that big of a deal. If you're angry with someone, if someone's angry with you, seek to reconcile now. Some of you need to reconcile with someone before you can finish listening to this message. You need to do it. Some of you need to talk to the person sitting next to you and say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And it's that big of a deal. And you notice Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't say who's wrong and who's right. Like, you're the bigger person because you got up and you went and talked. If you're about to worship the Lord and the Lord brings to mind anger that you have towards someone or someone has toward you, leave it and go reconcile with them. I can't love God and I can't love people at the same, like I need to love them both. I need to get going. I need to get right. And I will say the desire to reconcile is evidence of the spirit within you. 
that you're, you feel that conviction, you're like, ugh. Lean into that conviction because God is doing something in that. If you're, a sing, if you're a kingdom person, but you lack the attitude of humility and desire to love other people, I would say you need to check your heart. I need to check my heart. If I say that I love God, but I hate you, <laughs> that's a problem. So who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to seek forgiveness? I'm not asking you to call those names out. But I encourage you to write that name down. I need to forgive this person. And some of you need to forgive somebody that you can't even talk to anymore. We've talked about forgiveness a number of times and we'll continue to talk about forgiveness because to truly know forgiveness is to truly experience it from the Lord. But in that same experience that I need to forgive others as I've been forgiven. One more illustration. You still with me? We good? Kingdom people must deal with anger, with a heart toward reconciliation, and done promptly to avoid sin and judgment. Second illustration in verse 25, Jesus says, when you are on your way to court with your adversary, Jesus, notice he says, on your way, like it's happening, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. But Jesus is saying, his point is, that you need to work things out before you stand in judgment in front of a judge who will sort it out for you. It's so much easier to deal with it when it's really nothing, when it's kind of this small offense or just like, ah, I said the wrong thing, I did the wrong thing. I can deal with it at this level, but what happens is is we let it fester. And it becomes this bigger deal, and we say, well, I'm not going to, and you're not going to. Jesus says that evidence of kingdom people's relationships is that we walk in humility and we walk in love with each other and we seek to work things out. Paul says this, uh, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. That pretty much says it all, right? But let me tell you that they deserve, they don't, they shouldn't. Do your best by God's power to live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends upon you, do it. Choose peace, choose love, choose reconciliation, and choose it quickly. You've seen it in your marriage. You've seen it in your friendships. You've seen it in in relationships at work. That there's this wrong that's committed, and instead of dealing with it, it festers, and it becomes this bigger thing, and this bigger thing. Kind of like, I've never, like, I I think it happens. People get a splinter or something in their skin, and it turns into an infection, and if you kind of like, ah, that's no big deal, eventually it spreads to your body, and it could kill you, all because you got a little splinter in your finger. Kids don't freak out, but that's what happens with anger. Like, we get this little thing, like, eh, 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 and then we talk to other people. We do this thing. We get angry with each other. And it, it just, we don't deal with them. We need to deal with it because if we don't, it will kill us. Judgment will come. The same is true in our lives. We will have disagreements, we will have trouble. Kingdom people ought not, better not ignore it. We should keep short accounts sin toward each other, that we should not have, we should have zero in that account. Like, hey, I've checked my heart. I've talked to the Lord. I was really offended by this thing that you said, and I just want you to know that. I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. I just, I want to deal with this. And, I'll, and what happens in church too, whether it's in a prayer meeting or in the hallway, it turns into gossip. And what we've seen in church and what you've seen in church is somebody's mad at somebody else 
Who's the person that supports? Person A is mad at person B, but what tends to happen is person A doesn't talk to person B, they talk to person C. Why do they talk to person C? I don't know, it just makes them feel better. Maybe we can commiserate together. Who should they be talking to? Person B, because person C can't do anything about what person B can, right? So let's have this conversation. So if somebody comes to you and they're like, I'm so mad at Joe, he's a jerk face. What do you do? Well, here's a list of things he does. And you're like, I agree with all of those. But let's go talk to him. Let's deal with it. No, 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 I'd rather just be mad. You got a problem. Because until person A talks to person B, there's not going to be reconciliation. There's going to be, is this a word, commiseration? (laughs) That's happening up here that has nothing to do with the situation and it turns into this thing that you never thought it would be. When it could all been Matthew chapter 18, hey, let's go talk to him. Actually, you go talk to him. You've, got the, you've been offended, go talk to him. If someone is coming to you instead of going to the person that they need to go to, lovingly tell them, hey, I, I care about you. I care about this church. I care about our relationship. Go talk to them. Like, that's the only way this is going uh, to get solved. And what might happen is like, I'm not talking to you anymore because you're telling me the right thing to do. I'm going to go talk to person D who's going to tell me something else. But you pray that the Lord will use that to, for them to go talk to him. Have that difficult conversation. Have difficult conversations in general. That's one of the things that I'm learning in my time away even is the need to have difficult conversations. So if you see me coming towards you today, I know that during the last song, the line will start to form for difficult conversations coming this way. But, but we need to have those. If we're going to be healthy as a church and continue to grow in health, we have to have those conversations. But let me, let me say it this way, though, that I needed Matthew chapter 7. I needed to take the log out of my eye so I can take the speck out of yours because what ha- might happen if I go to Matthew chapter 7 and like, God, I'm really offended by this thing that he did or he said. I can't believe he would say that. Let me talk to you first about it. Not person A or person B or person Q. I'm going to talk to the Lord about it. And God says, he makes it very clear, like, it's, it's not a big deal. You're offended because you want to be offended. Okay. It's done. Or, no, 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 you have a legitimate thing. But you need to come at it with humility. You need to confess. You need, you need to repent. And then you go talk to your brother and say, hey, I just want you to know I care about you. And you have this conversation that needs to be had. But it's, it's a, none of us, well, not most of us, like confrontation. But just because we all like, hey, everything's great, doesn't mean that everything's great. And we need to deal with it. We need to be, uh, be real about it. Uh, but dealing with things in a real loving way is the only way that we can continue to grow toward health. So it's okay to have those conversations. So where does this leave us? We need to deal with anger. With a heart toward reconciliation. That's my aim. That's my goal. I want to be reconciled with you. You want to be reconciled with me. Somebody comes to me. My heart should be, I want you guys to be reconciled. I want you guys to care about each other. I want you guys to love each other because you say you love the Lord. You need to love each other. And that you would deal with it promptly. So the question is, who do you need to forgive? I'd encourage you to write their name down. Who do you need to seek forgiveness of? We've given you this formula that to say that I was wrong, please forgive me. I encourage you to use that because it's really hard to say. But if that's where your heart is, that's what you're expressing. I was wrong when I said this, when I did this. Will you please forgive me? And if somebody comes up to you and says those words, what should you do? I'll think about it. Maybe. Paul says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Okay. Let's move forward together in unity. 
Who do you need to have a difficult conversation with? This is all part of your transformation. This is all part of us being the church. This is all part of us being kingdom people. There will be times where I will do and I will say things that annoy you, that tick you off, that make you angry. My hope is that it will be uh, the right things being said and that God is using that to convict you. But there's going to be things I'm, gonna get, I'm just not going to do right. My encouragement to you is to check your heart, talk to the Lord, then come talk to me. And I'll do the same. And may we do that for each other because that's what healthy churches do. And God will be glorified in it and you will actually be transformed in it as you do it. Can you get angry? You can be angry, but Paul says don't sin. When Jesus got angry and none of us is Jesus, he was angry over, over the sin of the, the people that said that they were righteous but really were not. He was angry at the religious leaders. He wasn't angry like, how dare you, woman at the well, act like a sinner when you're a sinner. <laughs> he was angry at those people who claimed to be righteous but were far from it. May we get angry about sin and may the anger of, our, of sin start right here.